0: A couple weeks, I've forgotten that my stuff and I've left it in here, and it really did smell bad. (laughs) I left one of them in there for two weeks, ooh, and I I left the egg one there. Oh, so there you go. You've heard the lesson. You've heard this. Sin is kind of a—it's a paradox, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's a conundrum for us because we truly know that we've been saved. You know, if we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, and and so we know if you if hopefully hopefully you know you've been saved and Jesus forgave all your sins. He paid, for, and why did He forgive Him? Because He paid the price. The price had to be paid for every single one. Okay, you 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 couldn't just start out and say Jesus just pay for the ones up till now and I'll ha- handle it from here. No. And yet here it is, and and I'm I'm a, I'm a Christian and there's still sin in my life. And so we're going to read this passage here in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15, and there's a particular problem going on in this group of new Christians. And Paul is going to address it. And he's going to address it, and you're going to maybe think, boy, that was harsh. That's harsh. We all have sin. Man, you know... What, are they, what is he thinking? So we're going to talk, talk about this particular issue, and then we're going to talk about the bigger picture issue of sin. Both, How do we deal with it? We still have it. What does God want me to do with my sin? Even though he's forgiven and he's paid the price, ultimately, in the practical day-to-day, I'm still sinning. And if you aren't, or you say you aren't, the Bible says you're a liar. Not only that, you're calling God a liar. So is this some sort of a big problem for God? Like, hey, man, I, told, I paid for it all, and now here they are still sinning. Oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? No, he, he's, quite, um, he's quite knowledgeable in your sin. He knows it. He saw it before you did it. So there, th- th- the problem is, how do we think about it? And, and so we need to really think about sin using God's lens for it okay and, and and understand that there's some differences in the way that you're looking at sin, and maybe the way you should be looking at sin. Okay, does that make sense? Hopefully it does. So I'm going to read the passage first, then we're going to kind of dissect it a little bit, talk about it. then we're going to talk about these big, big overarching principles about sin and why, in this particular case, is Paul advocating a certain thing, and you're going to see how that applies to you personally as well. so Turn with me in your Bible phones to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6 through verse 15. I'm going to be reading to you from the ESV. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were there with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It wasn't because we don't have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, We would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anybody does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he might be ashamed. Do not regard him, though, as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Let's pray. Um, Father, we're just going to ask you to open up our minds and let you pour your truth into them through your Holy Spirit so that we can understand what it is out of here you really want us to know and how we need to be changed by it and we just we need your help with that, because we're sinners, and our sin clouds our vision and our, plugs our ears to your truth at times. So, Lord, uh, just remove that and remove those binders and, and the blinders and all the things that are keeping us from really seeing what it is you have for us in this, and we just ask that in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, verse 1 first thing, he's identifying the problem and suggesting a response. Now, we command you, brothers, we command, so he's telling them, this is a commandment, I'm imploring you to do this, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away, and that keep away means abstain associating with. Keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. This is kind of a weird thing. It actually means um, disorderly behavior, so there's some context if you look up the Greek word, it's it's going, It's going. not going to say idleness. You have to actually look for the context in this. What is the disorderly behavior that it's talking about? So don't walk or tread around in or become um, common that you are walking in idleness. And, and the, again, the idleness we're going to see later. Be occupied with disorderly behavior or an undisciplined life. Don't do that. So keep away from any brother who is practicing walking and doing in disorderly behavior. In this instance, we're going to see he's talking about idleness or sloth and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Now, last week, I think we had the same thing. The tradition doesn't mean, okay, we've just been doing this. It means the teaching. If this is not in accordance with the teaching that you got from us. So so he's saying, here's the problem. The problem is, and we're going to command you guys, that's kind of funny, isn't it? Is he, is he talking right here to the people who are slothy? No. He's talking to the other people. He's saying, look, I'm going to command you, stay away from them. Stay away from them, so what? Well, we're going to see. Keep the, so stay away from any brother who's walking in idleness and is not following the teaching that you receive from us. Okay, so that's the problem. That's a problem that Paul is identifying. Again, this is a group of Christians, haven't been Christians all that long. Paul was there two, two weeks to two months, and he, he leaves and he goes down the coast, uh, down in, eventually into Corinth where he writes the letter, and he's hearing back from Timothy, hey, um, there's some people there who, are, who have a problem. And so the problem there, we're going to look at it a little bit, is they were expecting Jesus to come back. And so then they said, well, hey, woohoo. Partay! Jesus is coming! Like, if someone was going to drop an atomic bomb on your house and you knew it was coming, or you thought it was coming in a, you know, a couple weeks, uh, yeah, I, might take, I might take that two weeks off. Just so I can, you know, <clears throat> be ready if that's the end is coming. So they thought Jesus was coming, and they decided that, hey, we don't need to work. We'll just kind of mooch off all of our friends. So, that was the problem. And now he says, but but, uh, we provided you an example, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. So who's he talking about the we? Paul, Timothy, and Silas were there, right? And, and evidently while they were there, in fact, he talks about it, you can talk, see it in Acts as well. Uh, he was a worker, that Paul, and he was a tent maker. And, and he was this itinerant preacher and, and missionary church planter, and everywhere he would go, he was sometimes getting support from other people and churches. In fact, even the church from Thessalonica sends money back down to him later. But um, he's, he's saying, look, when we come somewhere and start to plant a church, we could expect, because I am an apostle, he says, I am an apostle. I could expect, and it really would be your responsibility to take care of us when we're doing the Lord's work. But just so I give you a good example of not taking advantage, we worked hard while we were there, night and day. Why? Because I want to give you an example. So, so for you ourselves know. You ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we don't have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. So, imitate means follow our example. And so they said, follow our example. We we were there not only telling you because it does say the traditions meaning what we said how we taught you but not only did we teach you but we also provided an example for you to watch. How many of you think that's more effective? I mean, it's pretty easy to to go somewhere and tell somebody you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do that. But uh, uh, eh, I don't need to do that. You know how many of you uh, in in your parenting, you know. Uh, don't, <laughs> probably should have said, don't <laughs> do not do as I do, do what I say, because what I do is just probably just as bad. Now, so we don't want to do that, right? We And, and that's not what we want to do in our Christian life. We want to be like a Paul, and we want to say, look, we've heard the, uh, the teachings, now we need to live the example. I mean, that's one of the things, you know, one of the pressures on a pastor is, if only you guys knew, I mean, I don't know, you know, I have, to, I have to try to provide an example, and I should, right, that, hey, if, if I'm asking you to do something, if God's asking you to do something, and I, I'm repeating those words to you, then I need to be an example to you. I need to, be, I need to be working, you know. It'd be great if I could just collect my salary and sit over there in the parsonage every day and, and never leave except on Sunday. You know, that's what some people think. Well, Pastor, you got a pretty easy job. You only work for two hours on Sunday. The village missions is pretty careful and not let you do that, but nonetheless, I would not be ta- would be taking advantage, wouldn't it? Right. So I, you can feel okay. I'm not doing that. I'm pretty busy, but I need to. Prov- we need to provide an example. So, so Paul says we provided you an example. Now here are these people, and they are not doing anything. And so, there's a consequence to their thinking. They're thinking wrong. They are believers. These are, this is a letter to the church. This is a letter to people who have been saved. This is a letter to people who have the Holy Spirit. This is a letter to people who've been forgiven all of their sins, and they're still struggling. And they're struggling in this way of sloth. Okay, so, in verse 10, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. So, he's... Absolutely telling him, while I was there, I told you this, don't work, no e d Okay, very clear. This is a very clear teaching from Paul. Now, Paul, this is, you know, I, I don't know if he knew it then, but when he wrote this letter, this is, this is holy inspired, perfect word of God. He's writing this in the letter. So, so this is something that God wants. This is not Paul just saying, hey, it's probably pretty cool if you just work. No, this is, this is, a, this is a principle that God is, is relaying through Paul to his people. Yes, you're saved. Yes, I love you. Yes, I have a wonderful future waiting for you that nobody can take away. But right now, you need to pull your weight. And there's gonna, we're going to talk about why that's true. Why, why is it that God wants that? Okay, so, but we know... Uh, even when we were there, we commanded you, don't, don't work, no eat. Uh, for we hear that some among you are walking in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Oh, my goodness. So what were they doing? Not only were they not working, not only were they taking advantage of other Christians. Now, so here was this Christian-y thing, right? This new, this new thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, reach out, love people, sacrificially, love God. And so, you know, even we saw the early church, everybody brought their stuff, right? Everybody brought their stuff and heaped it in together. It was the the only socialist experiment that worked, and it only worked for a little while. (laughs) Because they loved one another. You know, that's why socialism is never going to work in the United States or any other country, because people have to love each other for it to work uh, and sacrifice and not care if somebody gets more than they get. So they did that. So here's this principle of really loving and being generous, and here's a bunch of Christians... Taking advantage of that. whoo! Taking advantage. Hey, Steve, would you just... You don't mind if I come drive your, your car, do you? Um, you know. I'll bring it back empty if it's okay. Um, but that's okay, Steve. You need to love me and share your car with me, okay? Come on, brother. Um, that's not right. That's not the kind of attitude that God would have us to have. So he's saying, look, they're, but not only are they doing that, not only are they taking advantage, but they're using that idle time to get their nose in other people's business. And so busybody is kind of an interesting word, and it's talked about meddling in other people's affairs. My brother lived over, I shouldn't, I'm not going to tell you where, um, but, but it was on Whidbey Island, and it was right on the water. Um, and <clears throat> it was a little, this little cove in there, and it was a community, and you had to kind of drop down off the main road. And so once you dropped down off the main road, you were in this community. I mean, it was very, so it was very separate. And they called it Litigation Cove, because it was mostly retired people with a lot of money. And so they got bored and just found ways to get in trouble with each other and sue each other. So literally, there were multiple lawsuits at any one time. Literally. I'm I'm telling you, people just, it was a, this was something we do for fun. We sue our neighbors. Busybodies. Busybodies, I don't have anything better to do, so I'm just going to get up in your business. And then, of course, that's going to make you angry, and you're going to do something, I'm going to just get on. So, not only were they taking advantage, but they were causing division and problems by being busybodies and getting up in other people's lives that they shouldn't have been. Okay. How's that sound? Does that sound like great behavior to you? Not to me. All right. So, Paul is saying, calling it out. He's calling it out in a very serious way. Right there at the beginning, he said, What? have nothing to do with them. Wow, that's pretty harsh. Okay, 12, now, such persons we command, so I don't know if they're going to read the letter. He's going to send the letter, and maybe the busybody people are too busy being busybodies to read the letter, but he's going to tell them to tell them, now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly. Now, this is just, you know, he talks about in other places where he says, you know, live a quiet life. What about that as Christians? What does that mean? Are we supposed to not, you know, stand up for truth? Are we supposed Does God want us out on the picket lines? Does God want us to be politically active, uh, you know, um, campaigning and and being activists against the kinds of things in government we don't don't like or think are anti-scriptural? I don't know. I don't believe God's calling us to that, though. Because he's saying, look, there's a value to living a quiet life. Number one, get your nose out of somebody else's business where, where it doesn't belong. Quit being busybodies. But it says, do your task quietly. And, and God tells us that, that you know, we, we were created to do stuff. We were. I believe we were created in God's image to do stuff. That that's, God was a creator. He, he, he likes, we're creative. I think he gave us that, that, that desire, and we especially see it as men, I think, we, we need to do something. But not, it's not all about getting up and, and, and causing a lot of commotion. So he's saying, look, live a quiet life. Now, we're going to see, and, and there are other passages in Scripture. Paul understands that Christianity and the Christian lifestyle is very countercultural. <clears throat> there was a lot of culture regarding who you were status-wise, if you were upper-class, middle-class, slave, and there was a certain decorum that you had to keep, and then married or, or unmarried or different races, right, and, and, and whether you're slave or free, right, male or female, and, and Christianity was starting to, to tip over the apple cart of culture, And they were getting some pushback because some Christians, hey, hey, I'm no longer a slave. Hey, I'm going to come up and get in your face, master. I'm, you're a Christian. You need to let me go. You need to treat me as an equal and and women and men were were you know they had certain things that were cultural in their in, in their time about the the position of women the position of men and christianity was giving people some freedom to say hey cuz he sells them in christ there's no free there's no slave there's no rich there's no poor there's there's no there's no male there's no female we're all equal in christ well i'm going to take that equality and i'm going to upset the way things are going on and so there was a lot of persecution and pushback from the culture because you christians are screwing up the way everything's supposed to work. So he does say, you know, maybe for the, for the, for the reputation of, of the church, live a quiet life. Don't be disturbing everything on purpose just because you now have some new freedoms in Christ. And we know that that's true today. We have a, this enormous freedom in Christ, but it isn't to just go out and cause trouble. Right, so as you brothers... Now, so for the other ones... Don't get tired of doing good. It's okay. I know it's wearying and everything, but, 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 but chastise the other ones that are, that are not doing it right. But you, don't give up. Don't get tired. I, I, know, I know walking the Christian walk is, 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 is difficult, but hang in there. It's for your own good. Okay. So then, um, if anyone doesn't obey... This is so. This is the response and the correct correct attitude about this. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him. That I mean, nothing to do with him. It basically means that. Quit associating with him, so that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Okay. So does that seem harsh to you? Well, how many of you came in with sin? Okay, that's it, I'm done with you. I want, I want nothing to do with you anymore until you clean yourself completely up. Is that what God's saying? No, he's not. He knows you have sin. But there's some difference here, isn't there? We need to figure out, what's the difference here? We're going we're to take a look at that. Okay, so, first of all, you have to understand, kind of from my object lesson, We need to think about sin a certain way. The problem with these people that were idle was they were either, one, ignorant about what they were doing was wrong. And Paul, so Paul, I'll take care of that. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, wrong. Or they just weren't thinking about it the way God wants. We have to do the same thing. You have sin. I have sin. You're going to continue to sin. I'm going to continue to sin. How do you view your sin? We're gonna take a look because there is just there's there's, there's two ways of doing thing, people. And, and so, you know, we're in, we this is the weird part. We are in God's kingdom. How do I know that? Because He's the King and I'm the subject. I'm in God's kingdom. Now, there's there's a lot of debate in Christianity, is the coming kingdom, you know, is that only when Jesus returns? Well, here's what I know. I know I'm a child of God. He's my king. I'm his subject. I live in his kingdom. This is it. So, there's only one God's kingdom. Everything else is not. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. God is saying, I have a way of thinking. In your brokenness, you have a bad way of thinking. I'm saving you, not just to avoid hell, to fix your thinking. I am going to I'm going to bring you back to the original way you were supposed to be by putting you in my kingdom and then fixing, and to fix you, I have to fix your heart, I have to fix your mind. And then you got to get rid of your flesh. And I'm eventually going to do that too. But in the meantime, you have to recognize there is darkness and there is light. The title of the sermon is, Do Not Invite Darkness Into the Light. That's going to be the crux of the, the issue of the difference in knowing that you have sin. And then, how do I think about that sin? And how do I deal with that sin? Something, I, I, uh, heard somebody, now I wish I'd have written down, I was listening to, to Christian Radio, and in, the, in, 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 a, in an interview, might have been a podcast too, but basically, the, the teacher said, it's going to be very difficult for you to love God if you also love your sin. It's going to be very difficult for you to love God. Not difficult for God to love you. How how is that true? Because God paid for your sin. He loves you because He can look past your sin because you are cloaked by the righteousness of His Son. But how about you? How about you in your relationship day to day with God? uh, You can't really love God when you are still loving your sin. So here was these people. Well, let's talk about this. The way we think and and the way we act. See, there's a truth, and we, t- we call it the biblical worldview. We're going to talk about that here. Um, talk about that later. I'm going to do a seven-part series after the, the New Year on the biblical worldview and how that, how that affects each area of our life. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, this, is, this was uh, 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 the tail end of a passage where Paul was giving some teaching about, you know, don't get, don't get married to, to a believer, but... The principle here is the same. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial or the devil? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Not only does that make sense and is the the principle in marrying somebody, but, but it is identifying that there are two different worlds out there. You live in one, not the other one. Don't be dragging the other one into yours. How does, that ref- how does that relate to this particular issue that Paul was talking about in this letter? Okay. So there are some examples. There's four of them, I believe. Four examples <clears throat> to identify. So first of all, let's identify the thinking of the example in verse 1. Uh, or in verse 1, and so, it, it, not, not verse 1, verse 6. We command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away. Okay. So what is he telling them to do because they are mooching off people? So what's the what's the thinking? What's the thinking that's going on? <clears throat> what are they doing? They're, here I'm a Christian and I am taking advantage of other people. What is it that that they're thinking? Uh, are they being selfish? Are they maybe prideful? Are they practicing sloth or idleness That's one of the seven deadly sins. You guys know that, right? Seven deadly sins. Sloth, being lazy. Because it's taking advantage of others, right? I mean, they were definitely taking advantage of others. I'm not going to work, and then, by the way, I'm expecting you to pick up the tab on that. That is not agape, lovely, self sacrificially loving others when i say hey i'm just going to i'm just going to ride along on your efforts okay so there is selfishness there's some pride there's some arrogance there's some deceit and there is some seeking of temporary pleasures are any of those things compatible with a view of life that god has yes no go ahead you can answer no Okay, so their thinking was wrong. Somehow they thought, I can be a Christian, but this is okay. This is okay. And so, what did Paul say? Have nothing to do with them. All right, so then we see Jesus. If a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, just the two of you, if he listens to you, you've gained a brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of one or two or two or three witnesses. And then if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him to you be as a Gentile and a tax collector, which is what? You know, we don't don't have a lot of uh, uh, relevance with this. Oh, so what? He works for the IRS. What's so bad about that? Well, hard to say now, but... No, but these people were despised. These were despised by the Jews. So basically, treat them as somebody you despise. Okay. So that we see that Paul's saying it about the slothful people, the people that won't work. Jesus is saying it about people who sin against you, and then you go to them, and and you go to them multiple times. This is called what? This is the passage people use for what? Church Discipline. Is it in the Bible? Yes. Do many churches do it? No. We're going to see how dangerous that is. Okay, so Jesus says, if this brother sins and he doesn't repent, and in fact he just rejects what you're telling him, be done. Be done. But we're going to see why. Now, the next, in Titus, as for a person who stirs up division... Warning him once, then twice, then have nothing more to do with him. Despise like a... Treat him like a despised person. Have no more association. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Okay. So that's three. Now four. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now this is the one, the letter Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. Because there was a dude who was sleeping with his mother... Or his, his stepmother... Ooh, okay, does that happen? Probably, you know, other kinds of those kinds of sins, sexual sins happening. Oh, yeah. Oh, why is Paul calling out this? You think that there isn't sexual immorality? That's pre- I can guarantee you in Corinth it was a rampant thing. They were temple prostitutes. It was out in the open. But here's a guy claiming to be a Christian who's in, in the Christian church who is having an affair with his stepmother, I believe, his father's wife, and What? proud of it, and the church wasn't saying anything of it. We're starting to get to the bottom of maybe why does Paul and Jesus impose this particular standard towards people who are doing stuff? Is it just because they're harboring sin? No, because we all have that. All right, so what did Paul tell them to do? He gave them examples. We need to talk about this. The difference between not living up to the standards of God and trying to ignore or change the standards of God. Do you see the difference? Every one of us has sin. When we start to embrace it or look the other way about it or... In the case of our culture, be proud of it and then be confronted by the truth of God and then refuse to repent, that is a different situation than just the fact that when every single one of us walked in here, we knew we were sinners. And I'm guessing you probably sinned sometime last week. Okay. Okay, we can't have anything to do with one another. No. This is an important distinction. You cannot invite darkness into the kingdom of light and play around with it and embrace it. And when that happens, if it becomes obvious to the church, the church needs to deal with it. Because why? Why is that different? Because we're accepting a different standard. And we're allowing compromise. And, and we, if we really loved one another, we would do it because it's best for the person. Is it painful to be corrected? Yeah. Does anybody really like it? No. But does God say that's what you need to do? Now, again, recognizing I have sin in my life. I hate my sin. It makes me feel terrible. And I... Go to God, and he says, if you confess your sins, I am faithful to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But if you don't come to me, if you don't repent, and if you bring sin into the family of God, out you go. Because we, because we think we're so much better than you? No. Because you're now the enemy and you're no longer a brother? No. What's the purpose What's the purpose of it? But you've got to know that there's a difference. You've got to respond as if you know there is a difference. It is keeping God's kingdom pure. Now, do we bring dirt into it when we bring our sin? Yes. But that's different than saying we accept a worldly standard in place of God's standard. Someday, since I know this goes out on the internet, I'm going to get, who knows, challenged at some point. The examples in our day-to-day as we see Christians and Christian churches approving and ordaining gay pastors. Accepting the social standards for sexuality and identity and embracing them. The instances are numerous where we see the purity of God's people being compromised by a worldly standard. They are very pervasive. Think back. This is a long time ago. How many of you ever heard you could buy? Used to have a pew tax, or buy a pew. I went to a church back in um, uh, Colonial um, Williamsburg, and they had the pews and a, a whole row. And they had, and the rich people, the rich people would buy the ones up front, and they had special heaters for them. They would bring these things with coal in them. And they would light them on a pan with a handle, and they would bring it in there and put it on the floor so their feet would stay warm. And they segregated themselves due to their prominence and their wealth. Is that God thinking or man thinking? It was man thinking. And, 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 and guess what? They did it for a long time and they didn't sink anything of it. I, I, I remember, we were, I won't tell you the church, we were going to a big church and they, they, they were doing a two million, back then, this was back in the 80s, a two million dollar capital improvement project and they hired an outside agency to come in who guaranteed them, if they paid, this is back in probably, um, probably the early 80s, if you pay us $70,000, we'll guarantee we'll raise you the money. And if you just do this, and you say this every week, and you say that, and there's a, there's a progressive way, and we're going to make these presentations every single Sunday... And then there's going to be a couple of special Sundays where we come in and present this great program with slides and all the wonderful presentations. And I'm telling you, if you do this, we guarantee you'll get the money. They did it, and they got it, and they built a big new building. Was that God-thinking or man-thinking? That was man-thinking. And it was allowed to come in unchallenged, and it did no good. How about, I mean, there's a, there's a number of them. And, and again, I don't want to get too sidetracked. But, but just to, there's so many Christian nationalism to say I can wrap my Christianity around the American flag and being a Christian is being an American and supporting a certain um, political party and a certain candidate. That's man thinking. And we see Christians embracing these things. This is bringing darkness into the kingdom of light. We cannot have that. I bring darkness in my own heart into the kingdom, but if I am there and repenting of it and God knows it and he knows I'm not perfect yet, that is different from embracing sin and bringing it into the purity of the bride of Christ. And we will not have it. So Paul tells them, have no... Have nothing to do with these people, but he has a reason too. And and he, and, and there's a couple of scriptures I want to share with you. Um, Second <clears throat> Corinthians chapter two, verses six through eight. For such a one as this, this one who's being um, back there, who's who, who's having issues, who needs to be cleansed. It's actually goes back there. Uh, Punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive him and comfort him, that he may be not be overwhelmed or, or, or by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love to Him. So there's a purpose to saying, I want nothing to do with this. One is to keep the body of Christ pure. Two is to bring Him back. And so that person will be ashamed, it said there in, in, at the end of verse 15. Be, they'll be ashamed so that they'll change, so that, that uh, being ashamed and being disfellowshipped We'll put them in such a dark place that they will come and repent and then our response would have to be what? Bring them back in, embracing and loving. We would never continue or not continue to love them. We would just disfellowship with them so that that act would bring them to repentance and bring them back into the family. And we would wholeheartedly embrace them back again. If any sort of... I know I'm going to get myself into trouble with this. If any, with any sort of identity issue or sexuality, if, if, if a trans person or a lesbian couple walked into our church, I would hope that we would love them and accept them and share the gospel with them so that God could begin to change their heart and mind. Would we ever accept that what they are doing is not sinful? No. No. Because the Bible is clear about these things. And what it says is, don't pollute my bride. We'll end here. In my object lesson, it was about the church. But I also said it was about us. Because as the church... Should we accept compromise? Should we accept the culture to change the standard of God? No. But you can't do it in your own life either. We need to disfellowship the sin. This is the example here. I have sin. If I embrace it, if I just ignore it, if I say, well, it's really not all that bad then it's going to grow and fester, and like the object lesson, it's going to overflow into every area, every area of your life and make a huge mess like the bottom of that pan. And we need to disfellowship ourselves from our sin the way Paul is saying about this person that won't repent until we repent and allow God to bring us back into fellowship with Him. know, here we are in... This Christmas season, and I'm preaching this sermon about sin. Well, that's because it came up. I didn't plan it. We live in a time when it's seemingly okay, even within Christianity, to compromise the standard of God. The repercussions of that are terrible. That is a slippery slope, just like sin in our own lives can be a slippery slope to bring us in and end up in disfellowship with God, because God will do the same thing when you are in disfellowship with him because of unrepentant sin. And he will, when you repent, he says, look, what does it say? Just come, confess your sins, and I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But we need to go to God and confess those to reinstate that close, intimate fellowship with God. So we we can't accept compromise in the body of Christ. Just like this and and, and those other three examples. And and the Bible is very clear. Have nothing to do with them so that they will be ashamed and repent. I've never seen us do that. I mean, I've never seen this church compromise. And I, I will not do it while I'm here but we can't do it in our own lives either and and just as it, it is seriously people it's like the frog in the frying pan the the messages are so pervasive but sometimes they're so subtle and they appear everywhere, that compromise is okay. Look, we know more now. We're more enlightened as human beings now. We understand some of these things better. The Bible had some things for back then, but no, it doesn't really apply to today. You need to get more progressive in your thinking. And it is the highway to hell. We cannot be seduced by the lies of the culture. We need, just as the Bible says here in this passage, we need to keep the body of Christ pure in our church by practicing discipline when necessary in a loving way for the purpose of restoration. But you also need to do it in your own life, and so do I. I believe the man that I heard was correct. It's very difficult to love God and love your sin at the same time. Let's pray. Father God, we are... man. How blessed could we be that you saved us in the beginning? It was truly a miracle. And that, Lord, that, that still you're working in us, this last bit of flesh that's in there that, that still has the sin in, it, in its core. You, you don't throw us out of the family. You still love us. You want us to repent. You want us to be better for our good and your glory. And you continue to put up with this in your long-suffering and patient. But, Lord, let us not put our thinking into the kingdom of darkness. Even if our actions sometimes betray us and we sin and Paul talked about it, we know. But our thinking needs to be your thinking so that we don't buy into the lie. Lord, we just pray that you would shield us from that. Do not send us the delusion. Help us to see the truth even when everything around us is telling us the lie. Lord, we just thank you that not only did you save us, but you're protecting us through your Holy Spirit, that you you've protected our inheritance that can never spoil or fade, and that we will one day be completely healed and living with you. So we just thank you and hold on to those thoughts as we fight the battle of the Christian walk on a day-to-day basis. We thank you and praise you that you're, you have victory over sin and death and that you shared that victory with us. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.